Welcome to Romans Untangled, a podcast where we take a seemingly difficult book of the Bible and untangle it so that we can enjoy its beauty. Season 3, Episode 5, The Invitation Stands, Romans 10, 5-13. Did the people of Israel, by and large, reject Jesus as the Messiah since Christ was preaching a different narrative of salvation? Does the storyline of the Old Testament line up with the message that Paul has been preaching in Romans? This week on Romans Entangled, we're going to tackle those questions from Romans chapter 10. Hey, good to have you back with us again. This is Pastor Steve Treichler from Minneapolis, Minnesota. Hope you are doing well. This season, we're starting off our podcast by looking at a person in church history. We're going to try to go from left to right uh, chronologically here, but I know every now and then I'll probably skip one and I might get an email from someone saying, hey, go back there and pick up that person. So uh, this week, I want to look at Joan of Arc. It'll be our first woman we've had a chance to look at. One of the things that I am kind of passionate about is giving you resources so that you can do some of these things on your own. You don't have to rely on quote-unquote experts. <laughs> That's not yours truly, but I mean, just that, that other people would just always be giving you information, but how do you get that? And I, I just want to give you three of my very favorite resources for church history, and there's a bunch, obviously, and there's very, very good ones. I think if you want to get a, a broad you know, scale of the history of Christianity, there are no better books, in my opinion— um, very humble opinion, but very correct, <laughs> then The Story of Christianity by Gustavo Gonzalez. It's a two-volume set. Uh, in the old days, one used to be blue and one was red, and I think they've got newer editions now. These are actually the ones that I read when I was in seminary, but don't let that scare you. These are very accessible. We've used these for our interns uh, at Hope Community for years. If people ask me, I want to read about church history, I kind of want to get a, a medium, medium depth uh, dive into church history, this is it by far, in my opinion. There are other ones that are out there. They're very, very good, but they go so in-depth, you kind of tend to get bogged down. This will give you a good breadth of Christianity from the early days of the disciples, as, as much as we have record. And then, of course, our records start to get better with the Reformation and the, the rise of, of the printing press. And we just have a lot more, a lot more documents since then. Two other resources. One is an old resource that... Uh, is no longer in print, and they don't make the magazine anymore, but it was called Christian History Magazine. I loved this magazine. I used to subscribe to it, and it was great. It's now online only. All the back issues are online. You just have to be a subscriber to Christianity Today. So you can go to ChristianityToday.com. If you want to read these, you can just become a subscriber, and then you can get all of the episode, uh, all of the different articles about a whole slew of church uh, history, facts, and people, and it's it's really wonderful. Another one, and maybe a little less known, but it's phenomenal. I mean, this is a great resource. It's called 21 Servants of Sovereign Joy by John Piper. John Piper has, he started a pastor's conference way back in the 1980s, and every year he would do an in-depth dive into one person of church history and kind of give their 
You know, all the things that they contributed, their flaws, their incredible faith, kind of understand the times better. It was about an hour-long talk, and I had been to many of them. They're phenomenal. They've they've come together in a one-book volume before it was uh, put out in, in multi-volumes, but it's a one-book volume called 21 Servants of Sovereign Joy. It is outstanding. Now, it's a little deeper than some of the other ones, um, but if you really want to take a look at some of these people uh, throughout church history, and again, it's only going to cover 21 of them, but at the same time, phenomenal. I highly, highly encourage you to take a look at that. So this week, I'm going to lean in on the Christianity Today article about Joan of Arc as we take a look at this. And uh, I love how they begin this. It says, she has been called a saint, a heretic, and a diamond among pebbles. But who was this illiterate French peasant girl who in 15 months changed the history of Western Europe and became, according to one historian, the most widely known of all medieval women? So uh, Joan of Arc is quite a figure, and we don't know tons and tons about her, but let's just talk about what we do. She's born in the Middle Ages, which means she's born in 1412. Uh, She's born at a time uh, that is right in the Hundred Years' War. Now, ironically, the Hundred Years' War is longer than 100 years. It goes from 1337 to 1453. And that's a conflict between France and England, okay? So it was a brutal conflict. A constant thing going on. Just think about it. 100 years would be generations, right? Uh, Joan is born right in the middle of that. She dies even before the end of that. She's born in 1412. She dies in 1431. So if you remember from our previous one uh, that we talked about Wycliffe, there was this rise of the church. The church, when the Roman Empire fell, and the Roman Empire has kind of a slow death, but Almost all historians put September 4th, 476 AD as the last emperor being deposed, and that was the end of it. Now, now when that happens, now what you get is you get a rise of many different states. And there's no way to really hold this whole region. It's much of Europe, even goes down into some of Africa, and it just... How do you how do you hold that all together? Well, what was common because the church had been the official religion since Constantine, uh, it spread everywhere. The church kind of takes a glue power. Now they're not they're not the state, but they kind of take a sense of uh, of glue, if you want to call it that, that holds all these things together. However. You know, like we talk about, whenever you mix, mix church and state, you end up with more state than church. And power, when it comes becomes national, becomes very difficult. And so, as we talked about last time with Wycliffe, he was pushing up against him this. And this was in England at his time. He was pushing up against this. Uh, and now we see someone who, uh, Joan of Arc, is French. And, and she's in this. And she's also... In this mix, while these wars are happening, and what Joan of Arc is most famous for is for she gets these visions. She hears, she hears the Lord speaking to her in remarkable ways. In fact, she says, "I know it's so, un, it's so remarkable." She says, "If I were to say that God sent me, I shall be condemned." 
but God really did send me. She, she really does hear the voice of the Lord speaking to her about certain things. And one of these things, there's a variety of things. She, she encounters going to meet up with the King of France and different, all, all kinds of different things. But what happens then is she actually helps the French to overcome some battles that they were going to lose. And she, it's all takes place in this place called Orleans. And Orleans changes through her help and through her in encouraging the, the people that were there. She's there during the Battle of Orleans. She actually gets wounded. She takes an arrow through the shoulder, but she comes back to fight again and inspires the troops. And eventually, England leaves. They're retreating out, uh, out of uh, Orleans. And this becomes a huge huge uh, deal for they they raise uh, Joan of Arc and just saying this is an incredible, incredible woman. However, she's later captured by the English and she's 18 at the time of her capture. And again, they the, the church officials put her on trial. Now, again, when you start to get the church and the state coming together and the church is able to do, you know, they're able to give convictions and put people on heresy trials, which would result in either imprisonment or to death, uh, you, you start to get conflict of interest here big time, and especially because French and England, France and England are at war, and, and these are English people who captured her. So she's put up for charges of 70 counts of heresy. To make a long story short, she's ultimately sentenced to death. And at 9 a.m. on May 30th, 1431, she's now 19 years old, she walks out towards the market square where she is going to be burnt to death. That's what they did in those days with heretics. They burned them. That was somehow supposed to purify them. Unreal, but... uh, She asked for a cross to be held before her, and her last words, her final word, was Jesus. 19 years old, she dies. 25 years later, a church commission overturned the charges against her, declared her innocent, and in 1920, many, many years later, almost 500 years later, the Roman Catholic Church canonized her as a saint because of what she did for her devotion to Jesus and for coming to the common aid of her fellow human beings. Now, Joan of Arc, again, we don't know tons about her, but man, uh, just an encouraging woman who just trusted God and, and sought him even in the last moments of her life. So, Church history, uh, you know, and, and just like any history, there's there's fun to it. There's wackadoodle stuff to it. Uh, Joan of Arc is definitely someone that we can learn from in a variety of ways. And I encourage you just to just to uh, maybe do a little more research on her. Let's get into the book of Romans. This week, we're in Romans 10, 5 through 13. Let me just read the passage. This week, I'm going to read out of the English Standard Version. And it says this, for Moses writes about the righteousness that is based on the law, that the person who does the command shall live by them. But the righteousness based on faith says, do not say in your heart who will ascend into heaven, that is, to bring Christ down, or who will descend into the abyss, that is, to bring up Christ from the dead. But what does it say? 
The word is near you, in your mouth and in your heart, that is, the word of faith that we proclaim. Because if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord, and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart one believes and is justified, and with the mouth one confesses and is saved. For the scripture says, everyone who believes in him will not be put to shame. For there is no distinction between Jew and Greek. For the same Lord is Lord of all, bestowing his riches on all who call on him. For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Okay, so this podcast is called Romans Untangled. First thing we're going to do here is just untangle this puppy, okay? So what's the big idea here? What What's really going on? That's going to kind of frame the way we understand as we go through the trees of each one of these verses. But first, what's going on? So you have to go back and, and follow the argument of the whole thing he's talking about. And I know if you're listening to Romans Untangled this season, we're doing this almost every episode because honestly, Romans 9, 1, all the way to chapter 11, I think the last verse is, is 33, it is kind of one thought. We'll have to kind of link these things together. So what's going on here? If you remember from our first week, we looked at the first five verses of Romans 9 and Paul's just, just really struggling that so few Jews have come to faith. And then if you look at uh, the next section we looked at, starting in Romans 9, 6, going all the 29, it says, it is not as though God's word had failed. So he's saying God is not to blame. God's promises are sure. And then he goes in to talk about God's promise and how it works and God's sovereignty. Verse 16 of that section, it does not therefore depend on human desire or effort, but on God's mercy right? So then we move forward and you think, well, okay. So Paul asks the logical question that you should ask. Wait a minute now. The Gentiles, verse 30 of chapter 9, who did not pursue righteousness, who not chased after righteousness, who have not been racing after it, they get it. A righteousness is by faith. It's a gift. But the people of Israel who pursued the law as a way of righteousness, they worked hard. They don't get their goal. Why not? And the answer you'd expect is, because of the sovereignty of God. But that's not what he says. Romans 9.32 is where the mystery of God's predestination, God's sovereignty, and God being in control of all things, God's providence over all things, all of that, and human responsibility that we have real choices before us, they come together in one beautiful passage, and I don't. they're not in competition. It's just a mystery, right? And, and Paul says, because they pursued it not by faith, but as if it were by works, they stumbled over the stumbling stone. And then last week, we looked at what is this stumbling stone, right? And we found this from Romans chapter 10, verses 1 to 4. It says in verse 2, I can testify that they're zealous for God, but their zeal is not based on knowledge. If you remember, we talked about a vector. They have a lot of magnitude, a lot of the, the arrow is long of that vector, but it's pushing in the wrong direction. It's not based on knowledge. And instead of taking the righteousness of God that was given through Jesus Christ, verse 3, they sought to establish their own. That's the stumbling block. And verse 4 says it clearly, Christ is the end of the law, so that for everyone who believes there will be righteousness. So now what Paul's going to do here, what, what this next section is saying when he starts the first word out of it is the word for. Verse 5 of Romans 10 says, 
for Moses writes about these two kinds of righteousnesses, the righteousness that is to establish our own, that's based on law, right? And verses six to eight, he talks about the righteousness that's based on faith. So the, the idea is what Paul's doing here, and it's genius actually, is he's saying this is the way it's always been. I am I am pushing you towards something here that when you've read through the Old Testament, when even when you read what you think would be the primary book about righteousness coming from the law, Deuteronomy, it pushes you in this direction, Israel. So when you when you saw the Messiah and he comes to die for our sins and he's a substitute for our own sins, that shouldn't come as some big surprise because Moses said it. That's the big idea here, okay? That's the big idea. And he ends this section with an invitation to people of Israel. And again, it's an invitation to everybody. Of course it is. But he's especially leaning in on the people of Israel saying, come, come to Jesus. Okay? So now, with that's the untangle. So, and that kind of gets us where this whole thing is going. Now, let's kind of dive into this, what's happening. So verse five. Verse five says, for Moses writes about the righteousness that is based on the law, that the person who does the commands shall live by them. And that, that's that's an indirect quote of Leviticus 18.5. And, and Paul loves that verse. He uses it in Galatians as well. And he basically says this. It's, it's, it's quite straightforward. In other words, if you want to be made right by righteousness, if you want your own righteousness, here's the deal. It's quite simple. Do everything right all the time. In word, in deed, and in motive. Always. That's simple. It's very simple. If you want a righteousness of your own, that's how it works. <laughs> that's, that's what he's getting at. That's what the law requires. And, and many, many people of that time, Paul himself included, says, I can do that. I'm, I'm going to be that. I'm going to take the moral high ground every single time, and I'm going to be. And even though I may have a few failures here, I'm certainly going to have less than everybody else, and I will make it. I can climb the mountain of righteousness and achieve the goal of that. That's what Paul says is uh, the, 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 the Moses talking about, he says in, in here in verse 5, the righteousness that is based on law. But if you've been following in the book of Romans, Paul actually goes a little deeper into this and in saying the law is so rich and so deep that it goes way beyond what we think. I mean, it shows that we have not only sinned once a day, every time we exchange creation for creator, we have sinned against God. It, it, it's massive. We've sinned a hundred times a day, a thousand, I don't know. They just do this a lot. We're, there's a lot more going on. We're nowhere near as righteous as we think. Paul talks about this, says there's a ton of unrighteous. We're all very guilty. All have fallen short of the glory of God. He comes to a different understanding after he meets Jesus that he needs a savior. So you move from, from that uh, idea to verse six through eight, okay? And six through eight, is a quotation, it's the Apostle Paul having a, a uh, he's going through Deuteronomy chapter 30. So here's the deal. A uh, lot of ink has been spilled on this, and this podcast is too short to, to dive into this. But what you need to do here when you look at what, what in the world is Paul talking about, bringing Christ up and bringing him down? What is that? Well, let's go back to Deuteronomy 30 and take a look at this. So this is a quote, or it's, it's a summary of verses 11 
all the way through 20. Okay, so and, and the direct code is 12 to 14, but you have to kind of hear it. So what's Moses doing in the, in the book of, of Deuteronomy? He's standing before Israel. They're getting ready to move now towards getting into the promised land, and he's trying to lay before them that they need to obey God, right? He, and he's laying before them this opportunity. What this really is, it's, it's a moment of decision is what he's, it's like a preacher saying, now, what are you going to do? What, this, is the, this is the hour to make a decision. And that's what Romans 30 is. Let me read it in context. Verse 11 all the way to 20. He says, For this commandment that I command you today is not too hard for you, neither is it, is it far off. It is not in heaven that you should say, Who will ascend to heaven for us to bring it to us, that we may hear it and do it? Neither is it beyond the sea that you should say, Who will go over the sea for us and bring it to us, that we may hear it and do it? But the word is very near you. It is in your mouth and it is in your heart so that you can do it. See, I've set before you today life and, uh, and good, death and evil. If you obey the commands of the Lord your God that I command you today by loving the Lord your God, by walking in his ways and by keeping his commandments and his statutes and his rules, then you shall live and multiply and the Lord your God will bless you in the land that you are entering to take possession of it. But if your heart turns away and you will not hear but you are drawn away to worship other gods and serve them. I declare to you today that you shall surely perish. You shall not live long in the land that you are going over the Jordan to enter and possess. I call heaven and earth as witnesses uh, to witness against you today that I have set before you life and death, blessing and curse. Therefore, choose life that you and your offspring may live. Loving the Lord your God, obeying his voice and holding fast to him, for he is your life and length of days that you may dwell on the land that the Lord swore to your fathers, to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob to give them. Now, at first glance, when you read this, you go, Paul, did you just really quote that as an argument that this is righteousness by faith? I mean, that just basically sounds... Like that you got to do this stuff and then you're going to stay in the land. You'll be blessed. But if you don't do this stuff, you're not going to. It sounds exactly like an invitation for law, right? That's exactly what it sounds like. And that's, of course, what Moses represents. But Paul's going after something deeper here. And you're going to see this in, in just a minute when we get towards the end of this passage. He's, he's trying to get to this picture and the Jews who knew the Old Testament would know this real clearly. What the picture was at that moment was all of Israel standing there, and it's this moment of decision. Which way are you going to go? Are you going to follow the Lord or not? That's the, that's the point he's going into. Are you going to give yourself to the Lord? And what Paul is actually saying is that this is actually a moment of decision for Israel again. What are you going to do now that all of this has been made known that we choosing life, as it says here in verse 19, therefore choose life that you and your offspring may live actually involves not pursuing righteousness by your own effort. It actually involves pursuing Christ as your righteousness. Now, you're saying, Trike, you're, you're reading into that. How can that be? No, 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 I'm, I'm not. Paul has just made a distinction. He says the in verse 5 of chapter 10, he says, the righteousness that comes from 
law, right, or comes the, uh, uh, excuse me, it says the righteousness that is based on the law, that the person who does the command shall live by them. In other words, do these things and you'll live. But there's a contrast here. The righteousness based on faith says something different. And it's in line with everything he's been telling us. So he's using, it's, it's a genius argument, actually. He's using this, this whole concept of them being on this moment of decision. For him now saying, you're on another moment of decision. Is it about you or is it about Jesus? Are you going to let him be your sin bearer in everything? That's what he's trying to get at here. He's trying to say, this is actually what Moses was talking about. When you flesh it out, he'd say, no, this was about serving the Lord and going after him. That, it's, it's really Paul's way of looking at this, saying that this is um, a remarkable grace. Now, you can even get that from the book of Deuteronomy. If you back up a few chapters in chapter 9, In verses four to six, Moses tells the people of Israel this. He says, after the Lord your God has driven them out, the other people out, the other nations out before you, do not say to yourself, quote, the Lord has brought me here to take possession of this land because of my righteousness, unquote. No, it is not account, it is on uh, on account of the wickedness of these nations that the Lord is going to drive them out before you. It is not because of your righteousness, or your integrity, that you are going to take possession of their land. But on account of the wickedness of these nations, the Lord your God will drive them out before you to accomplish what he swore to your fathers, to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Understand that, he makes it clear for the third time, that it is not because of your righteousness that the Lord your God is giving you this good land to to possess. For you are a stiff-necked people. Right, a stiff neck, a stiff neck on an animal is a, an animal that is just obstinate and will not obey you. It just stiffens its neck, and even though like a, you know you're trying to get the oxen to turn and it won't, and that's what Moses says they are. Right, so it's clear here, even from the book of Deuteronomy, and Paul's trying to say, put the dots together, keep putting the dots together, let the story unfold. We need a Messiah. And with that, then, he gives verses 9 to 12. And 9 to 12 in Romans chapter 5 are just absolutely beautiful. Let me reread them. He says, because if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you'll be saved. For with the heart one believes and is justified, and with the mouth one confesses and is saved. For as scripture says, everyone who believes in him will not be put to shame. And that's a quote from Isaiah chapter 28, verse 16. And he goes on to say, For there is no difference between Jew and Gentile, Jew and Greek. The same Lord is the Lord of all, and richly blesses all who call on him. For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. And that's a quote from Joel chapter 2, verse 32. So what he's trying to do is saying, this is the Old Testament storyline. I am telling you the Old Testament storyline, but here's what he's lining it up as. Just as that moment when Moses was right on the borderline to cross the Jordan River and, he's, and Joshua's going to take them in, what, what this is now is the same. It's Israel. It's a moment of decision. 
And the way Paul talks about this is the way many of us talk about coming to faith now. We say it's a moment of decision. It's a moment of bending your will. It's a, it's, it's a moment of saying, I'm a sinner and I need Christ. I need him as my savior. And they say that there's two things, right? In this passage, it goes on to say, if you confess with your mouth, Jesus is Lord, right? So the first part of this is saying that my, 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 I'm going to make this confession. I'm going to acknowledge I'm going to say this out loud to others. I'm going to I'm going to act as a person who believes that Jesus is the Messiah. And second, believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead. In other words, that Christ's sacrifice on the cross was sufficient and he he was victorious over that through the resurrection. He says you're saved. That's as simple as that. And that's what he's calling the Israelites. It's an invitation right here and now, right here in the Romans passage. It's an invitation to all of the Jewish people who have not yet come saying, this is the story. It goes way back to Moses saying this before you went into the promised land. It's now here for us to say the real promised land. It's the same moment of decision for you. And it's true for both Jew and Gentile. So you may not be Jewish, but it's true for all Gentiles. Same thing. I actually came to faith through a, through a uh, communicator, a preacher, who talked about his own story of how he had come to faith. And the way he said it was he said, it's as simple as ABC backwards how you become a Christian. He said, you just have to confess your sins before the Lord, that you need a Savior. Confess that. So just say it out loud. Say it out loud to the Lord. Two, you had to believe. You really had to trust and believe didn't just mean intellectual assent. It actually meant doing a trust fall into the arms of Jesus. And A, you had to ask him in. You accept him. You take him. Lord, I take you as Savior and Lord. And that's basically the simple method. I remember that. It was ABC backwards, <laughs> CBA. And, and I just thought, son of a gun. Well, I'm okay with the first part, which was confessing I was a sinner. I knew I was a sinner. Believing that Jesus was Lord I believed that intellectually, but I hadn't taken that trust fall. And I was stuck on the A part for, honestly, about 14 hours. (laughs) I really wrestled. I could barely sleep that night. And the next morning in the shower at Frontier Hall, glorious Frontier Hall, I told the Lord, take me, I'm yours. I gave my heart to Jesus Christ. So if that's you, I would encourage you. If you've never if you've never come to the point where you've trusted Jesus Christ, trust them today. Simple as that. CBA backwards. Uh, declare it and believe it. That's that's all there is. That's all there's to it. It's trusting just in Jesus. His righteousness, not yours. You let it go. I'm okay in Jesus. All of that is true. If you've done that, like in my case, I'm going to come up on. <laughs> it's embarrassing to say, but it's going to be 40 years this spring. Colossians 2, 6 and 7 is a verse that really ministers to me. It says, So then, just as you received Christ Jesus as Lord, continue to live your lives in him, rooted and built up in him, strengthened in the faith as you were taught, and overflowing with thankfulness. What does that mean? That same way where I just laid it all down to Jesus. That's how I live my life. No, I'm not re-saved. No, I'm already, it's already done. But how I live this life is the same thing. I declare and I believe. I confess, I believe, and I just 
constantly say, Jesus, I accept what your righteousness did for me. I don't have to earn it on my own. I worship and serve you today. And it's a constant. I'm rooted in him. I'm built up in him. I'm strengthened in the faith as Colossians 2 then, and I love this, and it says, and overflowing with thankfulness. Just saying, wow. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, thank you. Next week on Romans Untangled, we'll look at how this renewed invitation to the Jews and and ultimately to all people, how it spread and what makes it so very hard to accept. Thanks for uh, joining this week and hanging out with me on this week's podcast. Look forward to seeing you next week on Romans Untangled.